yeah, yeah. the best talent, no matter what field, you know, you could be in business, you could be on the radio, Musicians, you could be in music. Yeah. Figuring out like why yeah. that chord or that feeling or what would happen if I took this and put it with this oh, uh, okay. you know you think about um, tubular bells when that came out uh, and was used in exorcist and stuff like that that sound had never been done before this was what I can't remember the age like 15 at the time that was recorded or something ridiculous like that um, and it was the experimentation of lots of different sounds and no vocals and that came from curiosity, Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. This is Derv, and of course, you're listening to The One Sheet. So last episode, I did mention that, again, this time we're going to keep kind of in the radio world. So this time we sit down with uh, the National Format Director of Contemporary Hit Radio and the National Talent Coach for Rogers Communications across Canada. If you're familiar with media in Canada, you probably get an idea of how badass this job really is. Now, on top of that, he also writes a column in allaccess.com. It's called The Performance Playbook, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes if you want to check it out. But his articles, they're super straight to the point, they're easy to read, and they can apply for the most part to improving your performance no matter what job or area of life you're tackling. So I really highly suggest checking that out. We start out the episode in my usual way, just getting kind of some of his background leading up to where he is now. He wasn't always sure of his career path, but uh, he knew that he was good at three things. So one was business, one was creative, and the other was, you know what, I'm actually going to let you keep an ear open for that. But with the awareness of these three characteristics and a chance opportunity in radio, this started his intrigue, which grew into his passion. At the age of 16, he got an on-air job at a small radio station, and it just it built from there. We then kind of fast forward uh, to today, and uh, we hear about, on the coaching side, uh, what coaching means to him, how he approaches being an effective coach, some components needed to have a successful coaching session, both from the coach's and the coachee's perspective, as well as uh, some of the difficulties of doing his job. In today's world where the word coaching can be overused or misrepresented so easily, this is a refreshing conversation. It kind of brings us back to the foundation of what it really means. Now, from the format side of things, we discuss big brands, why it works so well in UK and how the concept is being brought to Canada, and um, also what he thinks is essential for radio to stay strong into the future. You'll hear throughout the whole episode that Paul's very self-aware. He really knows what it takes to be in that open space for others to develop and grow. I'm going to ask you to kind of listen to his experiences and how he approaches situations and really kind of think about how you can take that same approach into something that you're dealing with in life. Whether you're a musician, a student, an industry professional, or just someone who's stuck listening to this episode because their friend told them to check it out, there's something that everyone can take away. Now, before we get started, a uh, quick thanks to Longa McQuaid, who supplied the microphones for this. You guys are awesome, and I love that you have lots of locations, so if anyone's looking for equipment or uh, to buy or rent, um, I mean, there's a bunch of other stuff. They've got a great community actually going on as well. So check out Long and McQuaid online. They've got lots of locations. Also, if you look on Twitter, hashtag tripod, T-R-Y-P-O-D, P-O-D, um, there's this big campaign kicking off actually today to spread the word about podcasts. So whether it's this episode or whether it's another episode that you like from my podcast or whether it's just a completely different podcast that has nothing to do with this industry, I don't care. If you know an episode that you think a friend would like but they don't listen to podcasts at all, this is kind of a challenge, I guess, that all the major podcasts are um, putting on for March to get one new friend, I mean, ideally a day, I guess, but one new friend to start listening to podcasts. I think they're awesome. They're a free resource. I mean, 
why wouldn't you share them? You can learn something new. It doesn't cost anything if you ever commute or you're cleaning the house or just doing anything and you just kind of want a bit of a distraction or to learn something new, put on a podcast. So hashtag tripod. Uh, you don't even have to look it up. Just try and share a podcast of some sort with a friend who doesn't normally listen. Thank you. Now, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Paul K. You ready? Yeah, always. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> always ready. Always ready. Hi, Paul. Thanks for joining. No worries at all. How are you doing today? I'm good. Yeah? I'm struggling with a bit of a cold, but I'm all right. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm a bit oh. of a baby when it comes to having a cold, so forgive me. I do use like vitamin C or oil of oh, oregano. Oh, no, I just, or... uh, I just moan about being sick. Right? <laughs> I don't do anything to solve it. I just moan about it a lot. Oh, you like yeah. to just complain. I, it's just I like the attention and the sympathy, right? <laughs> okay. That, well, I'll try uh, not to make it any worse on you. It's also a really useful tool uh, because if I get bored halfway through this, I'll just be like, I'm feeling really bad. Let's wrap it up. So if you hear me say that, it's because I've got bored. Aww. <laughs> I'm okay. joking. It'll be fine. <laughs> now, you are the National Format Director, Contemporary Hit Radio, mm-hmm. and the National Talent Coach across all formats at Rogers Communication. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So if someone meets you... I'm going to do the cliche at a cocktail party and they have no experience in the entertainment or broadcast industry. How would you explain what you do? Uh, I think there's a simple explanation for what I do and what I prefer to think about the role as, which is helping people unlock their potential and perform at a better level, which is really vague, but ultimately what motivates me and my vision in life. How do I help other people understand what they're naturally good at? How do we help them remove some of those things that are holding them back? Not necessarily turn them into strengths, but just remove them. Uh, and how do we help people, teams, uh, business units perform at a higher level? So that's kind of the overarching broad strokes. And I like that because it means you can work in uh, various different areas and still be delivering on your job. Right. What it really means day to day is uh, I look after the programming strategy and music strategy for a collection of radio stations in the contemporary environment uh, and I work with those teams to execute their strategic plans and find audiences and then connect customers to those audiences and then the talent side of things is all about um, helping other people get better and especially the on-air talent I don't necessarily know it's me telling them how to get better at what they do and the executional side of things but I think it's about helping them identify the winning strategy for them as a talent oh I never even thought about that. Okay, I want to dig into mm-hmm. both roles more, uh, but first, I want to go back in time. Okay. Uh, you, you're from England, yep. I get from what your gave accent. That away? <laughs> what was it like growing up? Did you have any influences in this industry? No, I think um, I never really wanted to be on the radio or involved in radio. What I did want to do was find a way of not working properly. Uh, I saw that that was really it. I I remember the uh, first time I went to the careers office and they were like, what do you want to do? You need to find some, you know, we've got a work experience term. You've got to go and do something. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I just didn't like the idea of going and wearing a suit and and working nine to five. uh, Yeah. yeah. And so I wasn't terribly inspired by anything. Um, I love two things at school. Um, No, maybe three. I love business. Like I really enjoyed business studies and understanding how people uh, made money and and how they competed. So I was really excited about that. And I really thought I'd end up going to university and studying business and and doing something in that management consulting world. I also loved drama, so the complete opposite. So I was always... Tell us the cold thing that you got going on. Very dramatic. Yeah, very dramatic. (laughs) Um, And so I loved that side of things and the the performance side of things. I like the idea of it. I wasn't very good at it. I like the idea that you could go on stage or create an improv scene and it'd be fun and exciting and playful. I liked it. I wasn't very good on stage. So it's kind of the creative side. Yeah, so I you think are a mix so. between business and creative. Yeah, which is a complete rare. Yeah, v- complete rare. polar opposites. And then yeah. the final thing that I loved at school uh, was um, testing the boundaries. So I was always in trouble. Like I was, I was definitely the embarrassment to uh, my mom. Um, and I even remember, my sister tells this story all the time. We went to the same high school. I was a few years older than my sister. And um, my mom and my sister went to visit uh, her new teacher. 
And the first uh, response from the teacher was, oh, so you're Paul's sister. And my mom <laughs> literally jumped in and went, but nothing like him, nothing like him. So those were the kind of so three funny. things that at school I knew I excelled in. You know, I was good at the business, loved the drama environment, and I loved, I really did love being in trouble because I, I got a real gauge on see what you can get where away the boundaries were. Yeah. Okay. So um, sat in that careers office, I knew I didn't want to wear a suit, and I knew those were the things I was passionate about. Um, and I kind of one day went, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go and do a work placement at a radio station. And I did it. And I remember sitting there watching, um, watching the on-air talent really just play music, talk about things they were interested in, and, and seemingly work four or five hours a day. And I was like, <laughs> I could probably do this. Uh, so I, I decided at that moment that's what I wanted to do. That was going to be the career. Uh, there was no real influences. Uh, but there were a lot of things, you know, my mom uh, was really driven uh, and was really good at school and really encouraged us on the educational side of things. So I think the business influence really came from my mom right. uh, wanting to encourage us to get the best out of life and, and, and think about skills that you could use no matter what industry you went into. And then the rest of it, well, I think, was my incessant need to be the center of attention and test those boundaries. So uh, it was... Uh, yeah, no, no real influences inside the industry until I got in the industry. And then once I got in the industry and started understanding it and how it all worked, mm-hmm. I became fascinated by it. And there were lots of people early on uh, that certainly gave me opportunities that I probably didn't deserve. But maybe it's because you tested the boundaries and they saw something in you. Maybe. I like maybe. to think that's the reason. Either that or I was a complete nuisance and it was just easier <laughs> to give me new things to do. Like uh, me meeting up with you. Yeah, You're probably absolutely. like, fine, I will meet with you. Just lay off. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say that, okay. but yeah, probably. Hey, it's fine. I can handle it. <laughs> so, okay, you tried radio. You did the work placement. Then how did you actually get your first job in radio? Uh, so then I became uh, pretty obsessed with the idea of radio. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and that sounds really bad to say you're obsessed with something. But I became really interested no, in how it worked. Passion. Yeah, that would have there been a, a more positive way of spinning <laughs> it. Um, but yeah, I was just intrigued at, um, when you listen to the radio, how they made it sound so great and how different voices could connect uh, with you in different ways. And, and I mm-hmm. found that really interesting. So I became quite interested in listening to lots of radio. And, um, and I had no real idea on how to get into the industry. So I just started emailing it, asking for opportunities to come in and observe. But I, I focused more on the talent. I was always n- never interested in emailing the station manager or the program director and saying, hey, can I come in and learn about how the radio works? It was always, I love listening to your show. I'd love to see how you do it. So you would just go and sit in on a yeah. show. Yeah, and I was like 14, 15. I'd go in... Um, I'd go in and sit in on morning shows before school started. Um, so I'd be up at four, you know, either That's my drive mom, when yeah, you're a teenager. Like. I would either get a taxi or my mom or someone would, would drive me in and I'd go and sit there and, and just watch. And uh, I started doing that with more and more people. And I was amazed at how open people were to doing it uh, and sharing what they learned and how they did things. I feel like a lot of it... A lot of people, they want to share what they've learned, right? Well, I think so. And uh, I I feel really fortunate because I don't think they did it for everyone. Again, I may have been that nuisance that it was just easier (laughs) to say yes to. But I was obsessed with less so radio, but more so the talent and how those uh, people did what they did and did it with such ease and and brilliance, you know, and the power of a word delivered in the right way at the right time can really make someone else feel something. So I started, uh, yeah, making a nuisance of myself (laughs) and then um, eventually got given the opportunity at a really small radio station uh, to do uh, weekend shows. So at 16, just before I was 17, I was on the air uh, doing a show. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, working with some uh, really interesting people. One person who actually ended up becoming, uh, and still is, one of my closest friends. Um, And we just played at making radio. And and at the time, I'd always said to my parents, don't worry, I'm going to take a year off. You know, I'm 16. I'll go back to doing, you know, A-levels in the UK. And uh, just give me a year. Yeah. The year went. uh, went, And uh, I remember sitting down with my mom and my dad and going, okay, I'll go back. And as I was about to go back into to school, 
uh, a job offer came to produce a morning show and to do some on air stuff. And you were 17? I was just coming up to 17, yeah. And uh, the disappointment from my family at the time that <laughs> I was going to throw away an education to go and yeah. play at radio. Because, and I, do, I get it. I totally, at the time, I didn't Absolutely. understand it. They want it. what's best for you and yeah. not to cut off your... Yeah, oh, sure. and radio seemed like a stupid career choice, right? <laughs> You're just playing songs. There's no skills there. Yeah. Or at least that's how they saw it. And probably how I still saw it at that point. <laughs> um, so I negotiated that I would go back and do sixth form. So... Uh, two years of school whilst doing this job, which was just impractical. And I knew it at the time, but I said it to to appease them. Yeah. And I think they thought I was serious. And I did it for about two months and then dropped out of school and uh, stayed the radio game. And it, you know, so far, that was what, 17 years ago? Uh, it's uh, gone it's worked pretty out. well. Yeah, yeah it's gone yeah. okay. I wouldn't say I was uh, always lucky. You know, there is an element of working hard for it. but. Right. Uh, I think at the back of my mind, the best thing that ever happened was I was on a crusade to prove to uh, to my parents, who've always been incredibly supportive, mm-hmm. but prove to them that this was a career. Um, right, and, I get the same. Yeah, yeah. And, and make sure that uh, I didn't let myself down. I'm one of those people that when I make a decision and go, okay, I'm going to do this, yeah. um, I want to make sure I can actually do it and deliver on what I said I was going to do. And this felt like the biggest one of, uh, of my life. I'm yeah. going to make a career out of radio. I had no idea how to do it. I didn't even know if you could make a career out of radio. Um, but yeah, it's been okay so far. So you said, I saw it somewhere, that you you wanted to be famous. That's why you joined radio. Um, so did you like being on air? Uh, I did at the beginning. Like okay. I, I had no... Uh, no inclination to do anything other than be on the air. Okay. Um, you know, I'd gone in and sat with... Uh, some amazing talent and watch them have the best time. You know, I remember one, uh, one person, Guy Harris, uh, who I still think is one of the best uh, radio announcers uh, in the UK, and he's not doing it anymore, but he was fantastic. He used to do a Friday night show uh, across 30 radio stations, and he used to come from my hometown in Bristol, and it would be him um, and a bunch of his friends, all really talented radio people, but they just made each other laugh for three hours. Just like shoot the shit. Oh, hours. yeah. And it was, <laughs> it was a funny, well-put-together, creative radio show. I would argue that that Friday night show was still one of the best shows that I've ever heard. Um, and I, I remember watching that thinking, if I can have a, a life like Guy's, I'll be happy. Um, and in my mind, and I don't know how famous radio people were back, you know, this is yeah. in the... Uh, in the back end of the 90s when radio was huge mm-hmm. everywhere. I don't know how famous he really was, but in my mind, he was famous. Uh, and you're I, so tapped in. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I perceived that people on the radio were famous, and therefore he must be super famous. So, yeah, I, I wanted a piece of that. I wanted, to, you know, again, back to that narcissistic, I wanted to be the center of, of attention. attention. <laughs> um, so I wanted that, and I thought, you know, radio was going to get me that. Mm. Um, so that was my ambition. And I thought also deep down, and I, I can reflect on it now and realize this, I thought that being famous would be the, the way of proving that I'd made it and it was the right career choice. Because I think with fame, you're in, you're in the spotlight. And when you're in the spotlight, it's hard for people to go, okay, you didn't, you didn't pull off what you said you were going to do. Um, but yeah, I, I remember telling the story because Kay's not my legal last name. Yeah. And, um, I'm curious, but at the same time, I like the mystery. So I, I'm and not I'm not, I, I won't say. Okay. Uh, many people know <laughs> it. But the reason for changing it was, you know, I was young. Like, I'm not even in my 20s at this point, and I'm, I'm on the radio. And I genuinely thought that I'd become so famous that making a reservation would be difficult, <laughs> and I would never get any privacy. So I decided that I would change my last name. Quite the little ego. Yeah. <laughs> Um, how wrong I was, right? I don't think I, I, I mean, I was bad on the air, so I was never going to be famous. Um, and it doesn't work that way. And actually it, you know, it wouldn't have ever happened for me. I'm not that skilled and not that talented in that area. Um, which but, is funny because you're great at coaching. Yeah. But coaching's a very different skill. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's and point. I wouldn't say I'm great at coaching. Um, I work hard at coaching. I'm fascinated by coaching. Um, and every day I feel like I'm a little bit worse at coaching because uh, I, I, I end up getting stuck in habits and, and right. make more assumptions. And I think the more, more life you experience and the more um, assumptions 
that you make, the harder it is to coach. Because coaching is really about um, guiding other people to answers. Um, And I'm someone who likes, you know, I've got this, again, going back to the stuff I loved at school. I love the business side, which is all about, you know, winning and and finding a strategy to winning and doing it quickly and beating the, you know, beating the competition. Mm -hmm. And then the creative side, which is, okay, what is the potential here? Let's unlock that. Let's create something beautiful. And the merging of the two actually makes it quite difficult in coaching because I want to win. So when I'm working with a team, I want, I want us to get over the finish line first. I want us to achieve things that people didn't realize was possible mm-hmm. but coaching is really about taking a backseat and helping you discover what you're good at and getting and help you find ways to get better at it at your own pace um, so it's hard to say I'm good at coaching because I'm not coaching for me is about creating an environment in which you feel comfortable about taking the next step and it's about removing the the fears and the insecurities and the uh, interferences that you perceive not that I perceive or anyone else perceives, but that you perceive to be able to move forward and achieve something you didn't even imagine. Well, that, uh, to be good at coaching, you have, to be, you have to be willing to put the other person first. And, I, and you know, I fight with that every day. Right. I enjoy it. I love the psychology behind it. Yeah. And I love, I love the fact that it actually is a, you know, I get, I talk about this a lot, but coaching for me is really emotionally draining. Like it zaps all of my energy. I have to give everything because I want to solve problems. Um, I'm driven to solve problems. And And you're getting in each person's world. Like, yeah, but in coaching, solving a problem is the worst thing you can do. Um, Oh, I shouldn't be telling anyone the answers. I don't want to tell them the answers. Let them figure it out for themselves. Yeah. And also because the underlying principle of all of it is helping you maximize your own potential and certainly potential you didn't even know existed. Well, if you didn't know it existed within you, how on earth can I know it exists within you? I can't. Only you know what you're capable of or could be capable of. Mm-hmm. So coaching is a really interesting... I love the dance that is coaching, you know, where you move in synchronicity with someone else and their thoughts and, and where they want to be, but at the right time, step in and take the lead to guide yeah. them at times. So I wouldn't say I'm good at coaching. I also say that uh, coaching fails, and I have just as many coaching failures as I do, you know, successes in that world. Now, do you think that's more because the talent aren't coachable? Uh, I think coaching is a relationship, absolutely. Um, My belief is that coaching only works if you want to be coached. So you can't do coaching to someone. Someone has to knock on the door and say, I would like some help with this or help me in this way. They have to invite you in to coach. And I think otherwise it's just management, you know, me telling you what to do or uh, giving you advice or instruction and that's not coaching. Do you ever listen to radio? And like, do you now have to think of it in that way when you listen to people on radio now like is it your go-to you hear them on air and you're you are thinking okay how could I help them be better <laughs> uh sometimes you know there was uh when you start out in the industry uh or certainly for me anyway mm. listening to radio excited me that was the best thing in the world to do if someone said hey look uh, we're going to do drive for five hours I'd be like oh my god this is amazing we get to listen to the radio for five hours um And I'd have the radio on in the background wherever I was all the time. Uh, And then I I went for a phase where actually radio outside of the the working environment was really fatiguing for me. I was like that with music. I I was working at a booking agency and I was listening to music all day, every day. When I went home, the last thing I wanted to do was listen to music. Because you're right. My mind immediately went, oh, that's not very good. That could be better. I would do that with this. I couldn't switch it off. Um, And I still struggle with that. But what I've tried to do is now go, how do I get back to the... And I think my, my approach as a manager has changed as well. I used to stress about all of the, the small details, the things that actually really don't matter. You know, doing this in a certain way and not doing this. All of the stuff that we, you know, I it's guess it's just... to not focus on that. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I think in every prof- uh, profession, there is some element of those small details that consume your mind. Yeah. But that was what was stopping me enjoy the medium. Uh, mm. So I've started going, okay, let's just put it on and see how I feel. And as I start coaching and working with talent, I'm much more about, okay, the bigger picture stuff. Who cares if you did a tease at this point? Who cares if you've, you know, um, backsold that song? All of the stuff that radio people worry about but the consumer doesn't. Yeah. I've kind of gone, okay, let's push that to one side. And got back to the magic that is, how does this make me feel? Now, do you have any golden rules? that you stick by when coaching? Um, 
Not really. Okay. <laughs> Not really. Um, I, I think every coaching conversation is different. Like there's a, I, there is one golden rule and that is that I don't try and coach. I try and have a conversation because uh, I think, you know, we've all, or many people certainly in the business world have sat in a supposed coaching uh, session and it's been the coach reciting the same questions they must ask everyone every time and going through the motions. Um, and I like, and I challenge myself, and I'm not great at it, but I try, um, to read the room and work out how I can help unlock something in someone else by matching and mirroring the way they like to explore their thoughts. So I guess my golden rule is I come into every conversation going, okay, let's, let's see how this goes. I don't come in with anything prepared. That's not the way I coach. I come in and ask some questions. And the right style of questions is what unlocks the the thinking and the potential. How do you even go about doing that? Do you, I mean, do you take training courses? So I've studied coaching and I, uh, you know, I am fortunate to be a certified organizational coach, but yes, it's training. Um, I think it's also about seeking a coach for yourself. Um, you know, having the label a coach means nothing. Um, you know, it's just another label. Yeah. Um, so seeking input and advice, and I'm very fortunate that through some of the studying that I've done, I have a collection of you know coaches of varying skill and um, and ability in different fields that yeah I will reach out to for help. And, and becoming certified is grueling. You know, they record your coaching sessions. You get brutal feedback on the kind of questions and the environment and the space that you create for people. Um, Really? Yeah, it makes you very mindful of your approach. I find that interesting. It's really interesting. Coaching is um, like anything. It's... It takes a lot of practice. Um, There are some great coaches in the world and I'm far from them. Um, (laughs) I think the difference is, for me anyway, what I think, when someone says you're a good coach, I hear that as um, I'm doing my job and being curious. Because curiosity, I think, is the biggest biggest attribute of any coach. When you say something, what does it it prompt in my mind that I want to explore? Mm. Not, oh, you said that, now I can lead you over here. It's just the the art of going, okay, you moved in your seat when you said that. There must be something behind it. Let's explore it. Mm. Um, And sometimes you'll you'll follow your curiosity and it'll go nowhere. And that's okay because it's an authentic conversation and you're genuinely interested. But I think... um, yeah, I think that curiosity thing is really, really powerful. I encourage talent to be more curious, yeah. you know, so that when they're on the air, uh, understanding why you want to say what you want to say and how you even got to that thought. Do you think that's like an essential thing for... I, I don't think it's essential, but I think it's the thing that separates the, the good from the... Well, the great from the good. Um, the great are really curious about everything. They ask lots of questions of why they feel that way. You think in general or as a coach or just in I, I life? think in general yeah. uh, in life, yeah. yeah. The best talent, no matter what field, you know, you could be in business, you could be on the radio, Musicians, you could be in music. Yeah. Figuring out like why that chord had or that feeling. Or what would happen if I took this and put it with this? Oh, uh, you know, you think about... Um, tubular bells when that came out uh, and was used in exorcist and stuff like that that sound had never been done before this was what i can't remember the age like 15 at the time that was recorded or something ridiculous like that um and it was the experimentation of lots of different sounds and no vocals and that came from curiosity curiosity. okay i want to ask about um shift into the national format director role Mm -hmm. so um you had said that Canada hasn't really figured out like big brand personas. Can you tell me more about what you see possible within Canada? So I think I said, to add context, Okay. <laughs> I think I said, uh, I was asked the question, uh, what had, um, the, it's something like, what had the UK done that Canada hadn't? And at the time, my, my take on it was that um, the UK's really good at big brands. You look at the Capital Radio mm. brand, uh, they really understood that. You look at the heart brand, they get the idea of um, big brands can bring a lot of um, mental real estate, I guess, to a local uh, market for a radio station. I do think in Canada we're heading that way. Um, not always, and it's not always the winning strategy, but I do think, um, you know, you look at the Virgin Radio brand, that's a, uh, a deliberate attempt to build a national brand, you know. Um, so, like, even in smaller markets, it's... 
it's kind of a st- is that what you mean by it or yeah I think you know the virgin name means something no matter what you know whether it's radio right. or you know money in the UK or whatever it is uh, and I think that could be powerful I think we're we're in a world now where we're competing with other content sources uh, and other talent on different platforms we're, we're definitely um, battling for people's attention and sometimes being able to say this is what our brand stands for and that already being kind of imprinted in someone's mind helps you get your foot through the door still means you have to deliver some great content and to expectations but having a consistent big brand approach makes it a lot easier certainly from economies of scale to build up what that brand stands uh, stands for um, how it looks and how it feels and that can be really powerful, you know. Um, you know, and at Rogers, we're working on that. You look at uh, the Kiss Radio brand as a top 40 brand, much like the Virgin Radio brand. You know, we still execute with local sensitivities. We believe in the power of local radio. Mm-hmm. But trying to, to align and share, the, you know, an overarching brand value uh, that so we can... know kind of what they're going to get, yeah. right? It's no, much easier, I guess, I guess the point in a roundabout way is it's much easier to focus all of our time, attention and resource on building one overarching brand that can be executed locally than it is everyone trying to do it individually 30 times. So again, it comes back to my big belief that if we can bring the power of everyone together, mm-hmm. uh, it's far better than one individual. And at the moment, you know, around the world, not just Canada, um, there is a lot of standalone operations in broadcast. And that's really difficult, I think, forgetting all of the financial implications. But I think it can be really difficult to expect that each local team can independently and successfully build a great brand in in their market. Building a bigger brand or having a bigger brand that everyone contributes to the creation of. um, And then we can use our scale to to market, but still execute locally seems more sensible to me also gives you a lot more opportunity for the future. Um, you know, we, no one knows what's going to come next, but having a big brand that means something uh, to many people means that what if we, you know, what if you want to spin off into, you know, we're sat here on a podcast. What if you want to spin off into a podcast um, while using that brand? Now it already means something in the podcast space and we're not starting from scratch. So I think my point was the UK has done an amazing job and it's easier. Geographically, it's easier. It's a lot smaller there and there's no time zones. Um, but they've done a really good job of building a brand. Capital, uh, as a radio station originally, but is now also, you know, on the TV as well. So there's a lot, you know, and they're in the event space. Would you say that's one of your biggest mandates as uh, the format director? No, my biggest mandate is to make sure we hit, um, you know, hit our goals and improve okay. performance. Uh, I think, yeah, one of my personal, you know, we're very fortunate at Rogers that um, we're all we're all held accountable to the overall goal, yeah. but then we're, we're tasked and supported to do what we need to do to get there. So the biggest mandate that I've put on myself is how do we use every, every individual on, on my team to help us perform and exceed our, you know, our performance uh, goals? I believe that creating you know, a brand can be beneficial, yeah. not always, um, but the biggest mandate is improve performance and make sure we're, we're future-proof. Whatever comes next, we need to be able to compete there. We're not just mm. building radio for today and tomorrow. We need to be in that audio space forever. That brings me to a good point. You, um, you know, the future of radio is kind of a lot of people question as to where it's going to be, you know, in 10, 15 years from now. It brings like a scarcity mindset almost. And programmers, uh, I think you said that, you know, Often, not always, but often they're scared to take risks. But you, you kind of, you know, your little troublemaker inside of you <laughs> wants them to take risks. So I think on the podcast with Matt Kundal, maybe you were talking about yeah. it. And what, like, how do you see yourself being able to help them get past that fear and actually try something new? Yeah, well, I think there are two things. Um, why do we want people to take risks? Um, I think that comes back to your point about what is the future of radio. Um, the future of radio isn't going to be what we're doing today. That, that, that's the one thing I, I feel pretty confident to say. What we're doing today won't cut it in 10, 15 years. We know that. Uh, there are elements of what we do that I think uh, will be prevalent for generations to come. Yeah. But the way we're doing it today won't be the way we're doing it in the future. Um, 
And that's scary. Uh, and no one can sit here and tell you they know the answer for what it will look like in 10 or 15 years. Um, you know, I, I, I use the UK as a good example. When I, when I started out in the UK, uh, every city had its own local radio station. Even if they were owned by the same company, they all had different names and they operated independently. Uh, in the space of less than 20 years, they're now big brands, you know, operated and, and syndicated in a different way. None of us working in those radio stations um, felt that that was a reality that was ever going to be realized at the time. So I, I sit here today going, look, the future is going to be different. And the only way we are going to be able to compete in the future in the, the landscape of content and entertainment is to try new things, mm. to push those boundaries, to find out what the audience today will accept, um, what they what they will respond to, what they will come back to, what they'll help co-create. Uh, so I think we need that element of experimentation and risk-taking to help us push the boundaries and find out what right. can come next. And not, uh, not be too afraid that like, if something doesn't work, it's not the end of the world. Well, and that was going to be my next point. Uh, when you say, how do you help encourage people? I think, number one, we have to, if you say we want you to take risks, you have to let people take risks. And the biggest thing that comes with risk is failure. Um, you are not going to go, hey, I'm going to do this bold, different thing that's never been done before and win every time. Like, that's just, and if you can do that, brilliant, come and work for us because that would be amazing. <laughs> um, but that's not how it happens. You know, experimentation is about let's take one step forward and see what, you know, see how people respond to that and whether it works. And if it doesn't, let's take a step back and rethink it through. And if it does, let's take another step. Um, so we have to create an environment that encourages people to take that next step but also an environment in which people who take that step and who are brave and bold enough to take that step don't feel like there's going to be any punishment, any punishment yeah. or ridicule for failing. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, we should celebrate failure, the right kind of failure, missing your targets, different matter. Um, but, you know, if you take a step forward and it fails, we should go, great, well done. And sometimes, I always remember, um, I can't remember who said it, uh, a consultant I worked with, um, right idea but the wrong time. Oh. In fact, I think it may have been Pat Bond who once said that was the right idea but the wrong time. Uh, and that's really lived with me because I think throughout history there have been lots of great ideas, but the timing's been wrong. Maybe you're ahead of your audience. Maybe you, know, you weren't exposed to the right people at the right time to help you achieve uh, or realize that idea. But I think we should start celebrating the ideas and the experimentation because one day that experimentation will pay off. It's like Richard Branson and his desire to uh, take people into space. You know, the only way to, re uh, to get there and to actually deliver on that dream and that business is to experiment, try some stuff. And it's taken them a lot longer than they could ever imagine. Uh, and they've had some horrific setbacks, but they keep going. And I think Richard Branson's a great example of uh, someone who goes, let's keep trying, let's find a way, yeah. um, and encourages the people that work for him to do that. And I think that's what we have to do. And that's scary because, you know, today people are worried about, okay, will I have a job tomorrow? And if I'm the person that takes yeah. that step forward yeah. and it doesn't work and then, you know, cutbacks happen or layoffs are coming, do I, have I raised my head above the pit and am I now the target? Am I the easy target? Because yeah. someone can go, yeah, but the two, the two, um, they're too courageous or too adventurous or reckless or whatever. Let's just remove them and keep with the quieter people. But I also think this is a fundamental uh, opportunity in every business um, now to, to train managers, and myself included, on how to step back. Because it's all very well saying experiment. And I do think there are a lot of programmers and a lot of talent that are trying to experiment. Mm -hmm. But somewhere up the food chain, myself included, we're a little bit you know, two hands on at times. And we need to also keep... Step back and empower them to... Absolutely. Okay. Experimentation right. never happens by being controlled. You know, or creativity and control don't go together. So right. uh, there's lots to play around with. But I think, you know, I'm, I'm of the belief that, yes, there are lots of things that we do today that are the right things to still be doing today. Um, there's lots of things that we have yet to try that could be the right thing for tomorrow. So we have to experiment. And we need to start hiring and empowering people who are willing and courageous enough and to take that next step. And you're not going to lose your job for giving this a shot. Yeah.
Well, that would be my belief. You know, I, I certainly hope I can live up to that, that if you yeah. take a risk yeah. um, and experiment and it doesn't work out, I, I want to be the person that goes, great, I'm really pleased that you took that risk, rather than the person going, we're going to have to make a change because that didn't work. Right. I want your job. Really? <laughs> you can have that it. That sounds awesome. Okay. I'd like to finish off with, um, for just lack of, I haven't really put any effort into the name, but, well, actually I've tried different names, but I just call it Random Question Time. Okay. <laughs> you really sold that to me. Yeah. I have put no effort into the name. No, I, I've kind of thought about it, and I like something fun and creative, and I'm like, ah, oh, screw it. Random Question Time. <laughs> okay. It does what it says. It's Yeah. It's just like when I kind of wanted to ask these certain questions, but I couldn't fit it within our conversation. So, um, one... I think you have a great sense of humor, kind of like a little bit dry, subtle, witty. It's a very like kind of UK sort of humor. I grew up in an Irish family, yeah. so I kind of miss that here, I Okay. Guess. Is there anything that you miss about back home? Um, oh, lots of things that I miss. I, I, do, I do miss um, the way British people moan about the weather. Um, because I now have a new perspective. I, I moved to Calgary first, having never uh. been to Calgary. And I remember stepping off the plane and, the, and it was snowing and it was like minus 40. And you don't know what minus 40 is until you've experienced oh, minus 40. I didn't even believe that temperature yeah. existed. So now I, I, I miss the irony of British people moaning about the weather when really all it does is get a little bit grey in rain. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's lots of things I miss. But Canada has felt like home since the moment I moved here. So um, I love going back to the UK and I really enjoy, you know, the sense of humor in the UK and um, the sheer grumpiness of British people. Um, (laughs) But Canada has felt like home for the last five years and uh, I'm probably more so than England ever felt like. Wow. Mm. That's big. Yeah. What do you love about uh, coaching? Um, Honestly, there are two things that I love about coaching. I love the fact that coaching is about not having the answer. Um, As a coach, it's actually really interesting that you can't prepare for a coaching conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can prepare yourself mentally and center yourself and make sure uh, that you've lost the baggage that you're carrying around that day so that you can be 100% present. Yeah. But it's not about coming in going, I've got the answer. And I find that really exciting because in the, in the more business side of what I do day to day, you know, part of building strategies is working with teams to find the answer and presenting the answer and selling people on the answer and, and picking a course and going with it. And coaching is really about, hey, let me ask some questions. Like, let's see where this goes. Yeah, and I'm curious about you and what you want. And... Uh, I like that. I think it's really freeing and exciting to yeah. walk into a room with a blank sheet of paper and co-create something. Uh, and then the other thing that I love, and I, um, this has been a real shift in my career and my mindset over the years, yeah. I love other people working out what they want to do next. And I love that moment when the kind of, this is cliche, but that light bulb goes off and you can see it written all over their face. I know what I want to achieve and I know the next step I'm going to take. It must feel really rewarding. A hundred percent. So a lot of people, and when I started out, I thought being in management and, and being in those leadership roles was all about how many people can I amass? You know, how many direct reports can I get? And how many decisions can I make? And can, I can make my stamp on, on the business by doing lots. Mm-hmm. And that's fundamentally flawed. Maybe it's not. In my mind, that's fundamentally flawed thinking. Right now, I would happily give up uh, or work towards giving up lots of direct reports and being my own little um, island within a company that's just there to go and help other people perform. Yeah. So I think that's the most exciting part of all of this. You know, the idea that I want... This is a grand word, and I don't mean it this way, but I want my legacy or... or for people to look back and go, he was the guy who helped me achieve what I wanted to achieve. You want to make a difference in people's lives. Um, yeah, and I, but not a profound difference necessarily, but just a small difference okay. would be okay as well. Um, because I do think that a coach doesn't, shouldn't take any of the credit for you achieving what you want to do because you're doing all the work. All I'm doing is asking a couple of questions and paying attention. You should give yourself more credit than that. 
I don't think that's the coaching world. I think okay. the enjoyment for me is quietly knowing that someone has taken something away from that interaction and done something with it, big or small. But you've done all the hard work. Okay. Um, so yeah, that I've gone off on a tangent, but that's what I love. That's what coaching and and the job that I do is all about for me. Uh, what do you think is the biggest challenge <clears throat> in any part of your career? But the thing that you I guess struggle with the most, or yeah. Um, the way I want to manage and lead and coach doesn't always gel with every every person you work for or every company you work for. Right. To sit here and say, hey, look, I think part of um, part of my philosophy now on management is about taking a step back into the shadows and pushing other people into the spotlight it can be scary at times because you know you are making a huge uh, a huge assumption that that's the way the organization and the bosses and the people above you want you to manage mm -hmm. and a huge assumption that the people that already are working with you or for you want you to behave in that way. Yeah. So I think there are times where, um, certainly for me, the challenge is um, that internal conflict of, am I doing it the way I want to be doing it or am I doing it the way that I think the business wants me to be doing it? Right. Um, or am I leading in the way that I want versus you know the way that I think the business wants me to lead? And ultimately... The business just wants to succeed and wants my help in succeeding. Yeah. So it's my own internal dialogue. But I think fear. I think the biggest challenge for all of us is fear and insecurity. No matter whether you're a, a manager, an on-air talent, someone trying to get into the, the industry, the thing that holds us back is, am I doing the right thing? And if I do this, um, is this going to be a career-limiting move? Um, I think we should be doing this, but I'm too afraid to speak up. Or I'm not at the level where I can challenge my boss and I'm too insecure to, to walk out in front of this room and say, I think we're doing it wrong. So I think every day I battle fear and insecurity. Um, but are you getting better at realizing like that's just the talk in your head and you can say, okay, I'm going to set you aside and just do this anyway? Uh, some days. Okay. <laughs> uh, not all days, but I think that's, that's going to be a journey for me my entire career. Um, and I'm sure it is for many people. But that, that's what's going to help you succeed, right? Like the fact that you understand that this is a fear and... and yeah, okay, sometimes it's going to hold you back, but you can also push past that and move forward. And you just can. take Again, it's like the taking the risk sort of thing, right? Yeah, or at least acknowledging when the fear takes over. I, I do, yeah, yeah. there are times when I know I've not made the best decision or done the right thing or behaved in the way that I wanted to, and I know mm -hmm. that uh, most of the time that comes from fear and insecurity. So I think by, by being able to stop and go, Oh, okay, the reason I didn't do that was because I was scared or I felt insecure in that moment. Mm -hmm. I think that in itself is the learning. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that I'm necessarily going to change next time, mm -hmm. but at least I recognize when it's happening. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I think I'm coming to terms with, you know, I'm, I'm competitive and I'm driven and I'm probably overcommitted at times. Okay. Um, but it's all about small steps. We don't have to solve every problem tomorrow. I don't have to eradicate fear and insecurity from my life. Wow, that's huge. You know, to think when you actually sit there and think, you know, I'm going to try and remove fear and insecurity from my life mm -hmm. so that I can be better, you're not going to achieve that. Um, but if you can go, hey, I'm going to try one thing that I, I think will help me handle my fear better, no matter how small, that in itself is progress. So I think those small steps are the way to manage that. But yeah, fear and insecurity, biggest challenge. Okay. Um, for anyone who's listening that is like, okay, you have the coolest job in the world. <laughs> um, and it is a pretty cool job. Do you have any advice for kind of maybe people who someday would want to, uh, get into your role? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the first thing is to believe that you can do it. Um, okay. one of the most frustrating things, mm -hmm. uh, this is not a challenge, but one of the most frustrating things that I come across is people who doubt their abilities. Um, people who say, I would love to do your job, but I don't think I'll ever be good enough. I'm probably not good enough to do my job. Uh, <laughs> and I certainly wasn't um, anywhere close to being good enough to do most of the jobs that I've had. Okay. But I do think if you believe in yourself and, um, and start from a position of belief, I can achieve whatever I put my mind to. It may not be easy, and I may not find that success as quickly as some of my peers, mm -hmm. but I can do it, then uh, that's the best place to start. I think the other thing I would say is, and this is, again, cliche, but it's about hard work, and it's about standing for something. 
And I guess, I guess the learning for me was I started out on, on the air. And I could probably still be on the air, but I would be average at okay. best. So I think you have to decide what's the one thing you want to specialize in. Because to get, to get anywhere, I think you have to be willing to sacrifice not being perfect. So I gave up being on the air and lost that part of, you know, I'm not the best at being on the air. Mm-hmm. I, um, I stepped into uh, producing shows. I wasn't the best morning show producer, so I gave that up. What I became, and then I started um, as an assistant program director and a program director, and I, I was scheduling the music. I'm not very good at scheduling music, so I gave that up. And I moved my attention to, to work on how do we, you know, I, I guess three areas. Strategic direction, I love the strategy side of things. Okay. Um, I love um, building teams. I get really excited about putting together people in an environment that I think uh, will be diverse and challenging for all of them to succeed. Okay. And then I love coaching. And my career, regardless of job titles, I am not the best national format director that we have at <laughs> Rogers. That's a guarantee. Um, but I started moving up when I focused my attentions onto those areas. So I would say to anyone, believe in yourself, work hard, and stop trying to be perfect. You don't have to be good at everything. Find something that you're naturally, naturally good at, and that's what um, you mean by standing for something. Yeah, right? stand like, for that. You know, okay. people. It's interesting. You said right at the start of this, um, but you're good at coaching. That only comes up because I spend more time coaching. No one ever says, "Hey, look, you're good at coaching, but you suck at scheduling music," because <laughs> people don't ever see me scheduling music because right. I surround myself with far better people at scheduling music. So I stand for and get excited about and talk about coaching because that's my passion. So find something that you're passionate about and put that at the center of what you do, uh, and let that guide you into different jobs. Mm. Well, thank you. Is there anything you uh, feel we haven't covered? No, I feel like I've talked for far too long. No, I, it was, you're a very engaging person, so thank you. Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk about. Uh, one of the things that I'm, I, I'm actually passionate about, and I'll finish with this, yeah. is I think coaching has now become one of those words that gets thrown around a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really nice to be able to come and sit here and really boil it down into the, the simple explanation of coaching is helping other people get better. Um, so you are a coach or you're involved in some level of coaching every time you help someone else see something differently. And I think, you know, my ambition, and maybe it'll be something that I, I spend the next few years of my career thinking about is how do we help people become, um, better at coaching through the small things they do every day? Cause I do think this idea of coaching seems really grand all of a sudden mm-hmm. and it's not, it's the simple things you do. It's the environment you create. It's the time that you give someone. So I'm always delighted when I get the opportunity to come and talk about coaching and simplify it. I'm a very simple person. I'm not the smartest as I've said before. Uh, so everything needs to be really simple for me to understand. And I think, you know, I sit here today and I'm reminded that coaching is really about self-awareness. It's about curiosity and it's about the other person and it's about helping them through asking great questions. So if at the end of this, someone's gone, oh, okay, I'm coaching every single day. I just didn't realize it. Then I think this has been a great use of our time. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I had a pretty big intro, so I'm going to make this outro quick. That's all for this episode, and we will see you next time. Have a good one, guys. Bye. Bye.